everybody. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. April Fools, this is really the Make Ours DC show. Not really, but we are in April of 1964. <laughs> Michael's wondering, like, what 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 are you doing? <laughs> I can talk some action comics number one if you want. Yeah, we could we could see I've read that. Well, it's the Silver Age, so we're gonna have to talk about, you know, like various colors of kryptonite and Supergirl pulling oh. tricks in the orphanage and stuff like that. Oh, I thought we wanted to go back to the beginning. Oh. I could talk action number one, Detective 27, but we're out of luck with Wonder Woman. Never read that one. You know, I really, really want to read all of DC's Golden Age, and I really, really will never have time to do it. Yeah. Like, because Wonder you Woman. Don't wanna, the problem is you don't want to just read it. You want to chronicle the epic adventure, and that takes longer. <laughs> Wonder Woman, The Flash, Green Lantern. Listen, I read all of Green Lantern from the Golden Age. I read all oh, of okay. Superman from the Golden Age, but I wouldn't mind rereading them along with Batman and the Society and everybody. Yeah. And then you have to throw in Marvel while you're at it. Timely. Right. But we're going to do Silver Age Marvel. Bodies. Let's do Silver Age Marvel instead. Yeah. We've come this far. So and we, we, can't, we can't turn back now, even if these are not the best comics tonight, guys. Uh, spoilers. Yeah. Spoiler spoilers of our opinion. Yeah. <laughs> we're not necessarily gonna love these. And maybe to the point that we're actually usually we do about three. Sometimes when we really love a book, we even only manage to do one or two. Tonight I think we're pushing for four. I think we're pushing for four. Yeah. Get through this hump. Gonna, it's not gonna be that hard either, I don't think, to do four. No, no, no. No, we're already two minutes in and we haven't even started. Oh, I guess we should do that. Um so Daredevil number two is up first. Daredevil is of course our brand new baby from Marvel and Michael and I lost our brains a couple episodes back when we realized that he is the last new baby from Silver Age Marvel for a long time. Yeah. Like a the long last, time. Yeah, the last of our uh, the only thing that's going to change for us is uh, these bi-monthly books becoming monthly, but Yeah, bi-monthly is becoming monthlies, people who already exist getting their own series. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have a new concept until Shield. And that's still Nick Fury. It's just Nick Fury doing new stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a revamped Nick Fury. I think our next new baby might be Captain Marvel. Wow. That's late 60s, isn't it? 68. Jeez. So Daredevil's the last of the uh, original core creations, I guess you could say. Yep, very much so. Um, So Daredevil number two. Famous for taking Spider-Man's bad guy, the Electro, and bringing him in. And who's who's got this one, Mike? Because I never is it famous? Um, you have it. Oh, because I did uh, Fantastic Four last time. Okay. Well, all right. So, um, (laughs) the thing shows up at Nelson and Murdoch, Uh and he wants the lawyers to come and look at their building because there's some lease work that's got to be done. They want to make sure that everything is appropriate with the lease. All the descriptions of the building are good. And um, so Nelson is like, sure. Um, Once my partner, Matthew Murdoch shows up, you know, the blind guy, I'll just send him over to take a look at your building and make sure it lines up with your lease. That's not a problem. The reason that Murdoch is not home right now is because he is out stopping a car thieving. There's this place they've been stealing cars for parts and, and, you know, breaking them down, everything else. So he goes and he roughs them up and beats them up. 
and um, Electro was the leader of that gang. And he's not home right now either, but he sees Daredevil leaving the gang place, and he's like, ah, I'm going to get Daredevil back, blah, blah, blah. Um, he also decides that since the Fantastic Four are leaving town, which is why it's going to be convenient for Murdoch to go and investigate the building, while the Fantastic Four are out of town, that would be a perfect time for Electro to go rob them. He could break into their building, steal a lot of Reed Richards' famous secrets, and sell them to a foreign power for a fortune. Um, yeah, so all of this basically happens. Electro goes to steal the stuff. Matt Murdock goes to investigate the building. They run into each other. Uh, Matt Murdock, um, he has like ESP or something and turns into Daredevil just because he thinks he should. And he and Electro fight and Electro beats him up. And sticks him in Fantastic Four's missile and sends the missile off into space. Mm. And Daredevil wakes up in space and says, wow, I'm the Hulk. I'm getting shot off into space. You know, because Planet Hulk reference. And also like issue two of Hulk reference. He somehow manages to steer the missile back to a safe landing in the United States, which is weird. He grabs a horse because why not? Rides it back to um, New York, catches a ride on the bottom of a helicopter, manages to land safely from the helicopter back in the Fantastic Four building. Electro's still there because, you know, he is. And they fight some more until they leave the building and they like run into a movie theater. And finally, I think Electro gets beaten because... The police are just outside as they leave the movie theater and they douse Electro with water. And that's the one major way to beat Electro is shorting him out with a stream of water. Um, the Fantastic Four show up at Nelson and Murdoch to find out, you know, get their updated lease. And Murdoch's like, um, yeah, that lease, huh? I was, I was definitely going to do that. And Foggy's like, dude, we could have had the Fantastic Four for clients. God, Matt, what were you thinking? The end. This is pretty much the worst comic book ever made. <laughs> Napoleon, like anybody could know that. That's true. It's, uh, it's horrible, though. Like, I can't remember the last time I felt this kind of unhappiness reading a comic book. Really? Well, I mean, I'm sure it's happened on this show before. Like, I feel like the second half of Hulk's origin was kind of stupid like this. Uh-huh. Um. But, you know, this one's really just all kinds of wrong all over the place. I don't know if I disliked it as much as you did. My thing is, it is the kind of story that I check out on. It is an action uh, fest uh, with so little heart and so little character driving it. And it's not a 13-page action fest like some of our Iron Man stories or some of our, you know, lesser Thor stories that, mm-hmm. you know, you're done and you have one or two pages of intro, a page of wrap up. And so you're only down to like nine or 10 pages of action in the middle. This is a 22 page story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And I try not to hold sixties plots too accountable. Um, but sometimes it's like, come on guys. Right. Really? Like this is just completely wrong, but let's just start like already off the rails for me. I mean, no insult to Joe Orlando, the artist, uh, but we lost Bill Everett already. By issue two. Mm-hmm. And Bill Everett's style in the first issue was, I think we both liked it and found it very interesting, kind of different from what we've been getting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then this goes kind of more back to the generic, like this, you know, not really great. Okay. All and the all the noir concept is is gone. It's gone, and Daredevil looks kind of bonkers and weird now. Like the Talking Heads panels are okay, but all the Daredevil and the action is sort of weird. So I it, didn't like that. There are parts of his art that I really like, and mm-hmm. there are some panels that I'm like, oh my gosh, that just looks silly. Mm-hmm. He has some full page or near full page splashes in this that I drooled over. Okay. Um, that scene where he's on the helicopter going over New York, I thought was beautiful. Um, Daredevil's, I did really like Daredevil's like first appearance in this comic with the, with the car gang, because you get like, you get some really cool, like cinematic stuff, camera shooting the legs as he's walking by Kane tapping the door, turn the page and bam, Daredevil in the center of the spotlight. After he pulls the guy that answers the door through it. Right. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's the one thing that I liked in this comic was that scene where Daredevil's fighting his urban war, because I like when he's urban, mm-hmm. which doesn't last very long in this book. But for this one moment, he's fighting car thieves or whatever they were doing um, at a warehouse that he knows about. And that was okay. But then very quickly, it turns to him using a car tire to slingshot an engine into a truck yeah and it's like okay so he's superman now because Car tires don't bend like that they don't bend like that they're not easy to pick up and you certainly can't pick up an engine by yourself and you definitely can't slingshot an engine with a car tire so that right there took me put me out of the book a little bit because you know he's not superhuman in that respect weird um can we back up a little bit to that opening sure. scene with foggy and karen yeah that's fun, kind of, sort of. Well, let's talk about. But I still have a problem. Complimenting women at work. Okay. <laughs> so, in 1964. Yeah, in 1964, the sensibilities on this were very, very different. But let's just let's just make a couple notes here. Karen walks in. Mr. Nelson, prepare yourself. We have a most unusual client outside. Karen's here. She's doing her job. They're friendly. They have a nice social rep- uh, rapport. He says, really, Karen? Well, ask him to wait a few minutes while I finish the notes and don't ever change that crazy perfume you're wearing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's, I mean, that's not the, the best thing for your employer to say to you whenever you walk in for the day. But I feel like complimenting women at work is one of those areas that has to be handled with a lot of care. Well, certainly now. And we're learning a lot more. We're still learning. We still haven't worked it out yet. We as the, as in men who, you know. We the people, yeah. Who Society as a whole. Right. Um, they didn't have it worked out then, though. I mean, secretaries were there to be hit on, I guess. And if you watch Mad Men, which takes place oh. right in the heart of this era, that's exactly the kind of environment. Yep. Um, so, I don't remember in DD number one if they establish what kind of lawyers they are. Do they just say they're lawyers? They're just lawyers. But they were lawyers who were turning down a guy defending a criminal or something, right? Yeah. So they were criminal lawyers. And historically, they're criminal lawyers. Um, and lawyers usually specialize. So that bugged me a little bit, too, that like the thing came. And even though it was funny, he breaks their door, ho-ho, and all that. He thinks they want an autograph, and they don't. Uh, but like he wants them to check the contract of their lease. And it's like, well, that's not really... Just because they're lawyers, right? Like, there's like there's like contract lawyers and there's criminal lawyers and 
And then on top of that, Matt, the blind guy, is the checking the building over specialist. Right. I mean, not to be mean or anything, but that seems impractical somehow. And that also doesn't seem like his specialty. Reading documents in Braille, processing information, presenting cases in court. Matt is going to be great at all of these things. Visually inspecting a building to see if it lines up with a lease is not going to be something that I think he would be the best at. Now, we know that as Daredevil, he probably could do it in his own way. But Foggy doesn't know that. But Foggy doesn't know that. So he thinks this is just fine. Go send the blind lawyer over to feel the walls and make sure they match the contract, I guess. Right. So that was a weird situational baloney. But still okay. Still okay. We've seen worse. It gets worse, though. The thing breaks in. And oh, 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 one thing I was going to say about that is that you could you could maybe retcon it that even though they're criminal lawyers, the thing just shows up at their doorstep. And Foggy's like, oh, my gosh. We could have a Fantastic Four for clients. That would be a great, you know, a great land yeah. to, for our burgeoning. So let's just let's just let's just brush up on some real estate law. You know, let's let's do that. So let's assume um, that it's as it's the thing being dumb and just picking any lawyer. Right. Yeah. Okay. So he comes and he busts up their door and then he just like squeezes it back together. <laughs> yeah. That's not how that works at all. No, where's the where's the heat vision to seal it, you know? I, I kind of want the thing to think that's how it works. And, like, there's a missing panel between the second and third row of the door, like, falling apart behind him as he turns his attention back to Foggy. That'd be great if this door is broken for, like, the next 20 issues or something. Right. It like won't Jessica happen. Jones, like, yeah, she, she exactly. busts out her door the first episode and it's still not fixed by the exactly. next season. The thing broke our door, so every time we open it, half of it falls off. That's right. kind of funny. They're off to get medals in Washington. And remember the last time they got hit medals in Washington, the big hate plague broke out. Mm-hmm. They were t- taken to another planet. I hope that doesn't happen again. Okay. And then here's more complaints about the plot. Aside from all of that, they also think it's a great idea to not be there when someone inspects their building. Right. And they have like, you know, nuclear things and radioactive things and chemical experiments that almost killed Reed Richards and security measures and time travel devices and pretty much probably inventions that are worth billions of dollars and can be used for military purposes and stuff. But yeah, come on over when we're not around random New York lawyer and just check it out. Cool. Great idea. So then um, they go to the file drawer and um, there's Karen's secret picture of Matt Murdock. Oh, uh-huh. That's right. There's a character development. She likes Matt. She likes we already Matt. Knew that. It's just she has an eight by ten glossy photo of him in her desk drawer. And Foggy's reaction is, huh, I might have known. Okay, that's weird, Karen. And then and then panel four, where it's like, just be sure to get my photo back. It's my only one. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I wonder if that's a uh photo they used in an advertisement or something like that. Maybe. But it seems really easy to get photos of your crushes in the Marvel Universe right now. Oh, oh, you know what's terrible? He was he was sitting at his desk working and she just went up in front of him and took a picture. And <laughs> Could be. Yeah, how would he know, right? Right. <laughs> Karen, Creepy. don't be awful. Please stop it. <laughs> Creepy. Creepy. 
But yeah, um, then we get into the Car Thieves gang, and it was a good scene. The only thing I, yeah. is that there's so much powers exposition for the new readers. Yeah, I'm tired of that already, but I'm trying to remember that he's a new character. He only comes out every other month, and his powers are interesting, and they need explaining. So I'm just sort of going with it, but I am tired of it. Like, in the future, in my world, in my Daredevil, he mostly just does those things without explaining and we just know what it means when he sniffs the air or touches the newspaper with his fingerprint or whatever there's no exposition anymore but there needs to be because we're only on issue two i guess and And a lot of that exposition by the way doesn't even make sense so that's kind of one of the reasons i don't like it i'd rather they don't explain it yeah and the problem is that they're still trying to figure out for themselves what uh, daredevil's powers are because there are some things he does in this issue that aren't really consistent with later daredevil yeah um his his evil sense for one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, okay, so Electro's in charge of the gang. Is yep. that consistent with this character, I guess? We don't I know mean, much about it. He's gone from, like, arrogant, skilled laborer to bank robber to car thief to now he wants to be an espionage agent. He's just looking for money, I guess. I guess. He has, he has a black cowl with a big yellow star on the front. Mm-hmm. And he wants... To work for the commies. Yeah. You know, whatevs. <laughs> so, here's another thing I'm tired of already. Because I know we're going to keep getting it. Mm-hmm. Karen wants to cure his blindness. Right. And he doesn't want... I love that he doesn't want to. I think that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Like, like he knows that he's better without it. Because of all his other senses. And he's worried if he gets cured, then those other senses will go away for some reason. Um, so, that's I think, cool. I think it, it's cool that he likes who he is. Yeah. But I know we're going to get sick of her like, oh, if only he would cure his sight. What's wrong with him? And I think it's worth, you know, reiterating, blindness is not a disease. I mean, we're not like medically searching for the cure for blindness. No, especially in his case, he wasn't even born with it. It was an accident. Right. And blindness is a symptom that is a result of some specific medical condition. Mm -hmm. And there are any number of medical conditions that can result in blindness. Maybe there's damage to the optic nerve. Maybe the eyes were malformed when you were developing in the womb. Who knows why a person is blind? I mean, for each person has a blindness for a particular reason. His was a chemical, you know, was it was a physical damage because of a chemical reaction. Um, but there's no way that some random hometown doctor can cure a man's blindness without at least examining him first to see what's going on. So either Karen is full of it or the doctor who's talking to Karen is full of it. Now she is pulling a Jane Foster in the sense that she does say in her brain, in her noggin that she would marry him even though he's blind. Yeah. So, you know, Don Blake is great even though he's lame, but then Mm -hmm. she follows that with, in addition to that being bad already, she follows that with for his sake, I wish he could see again someday. Like she thinks that he thinks he's a lesser person because of his blindness. Right. Or she's just putting her own feelings into, uh, you know, projecting them into him. Um, speaking of Karen and her thing for Matt, I think this comic is going to be a lot more fun. If we remember that marriage is a euphemism. Oh, right, right. Because Karen is hot to trot for this boy from day one. She is. And they just met last issue, so it's not like they're lifelong friends or anything. She Um, really, really wants to marry him. That's interesting. And I just, I can't remember our discussion from the origin. Did we draw the Ninja Turtles collection? Yes, we did. 
Okay, um, good. But guy. I was just thinking that, you know, Karen and Matt, we see when they meet, but we've never seen when Don and Jane first get together. How long have they known each other? That's a really good question. Like, how um, long did it take for her to be smitten with him and all that, you know? Because she was kind of smitten with him in the first issue that it faded away when she met Thor. Mm-hmm. And it's it's back now. Yeah. But they could have been working together for 10 years or something, for all I know. Anyway. And then on page eight, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, no, I guess it's not page eight. I don't know what it is. You mean page nine when they go this? They have this bonkers caption explanation that doesn't make sense. No, I, I know what it is. It's the third panel on page eight. I tried, I tried panel eight instead of panel three. So he thinks in his head, I must continue to refuse the operation. I'd rather be blind and be daredevil than be an average normal man. And I'm just thinking, okay, I guess if you enjoy avenging your father's death so much. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I think much like Batman, they probably don't focus on the angst of that for a good while. Right. It's just a reason. Spider-Man, too. He hasn't lamented about Uncle Ben at all. Well, Spider-Man is a life lesson because of Uncle Ben. He has like guilt of ever of ever running across a situation where he could help and then he doesn't help and somebody else gets hurt because he chose not to help. Mm-hmm. There's like this this like overriding guilt complex pushing Spider-Man. And Batman, you know, he is trying to stop other children from experiencing the same kind of damage that he experienced. So he's sworn out against all crime and criminals. Right, right. But and whenever whenever we bring Dave Weeder's thoughts here at the end of this discussion, you know, he's gonna echo this. Matt Murdoch set out for a very specific thing to avenge his father's death. And mm-hmm. then he did that, and we got no reason for him to continue being Daredevil. Just other than it's awesome. Other than it's awesome, and I'm sure it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, though. There's no riding guilt. And unlike Spider-Man, he isn't the reason. He he couldn't have stopped his father's death in the first place, right? Right. So it's not a guilt-driven thing. Anyway. But you were talking about the massive exposition drop on page nine. So we just did a mailbag episode, and somebody asked us, John Morrissey, I think, asked us, like, you know, how come some of these books are better than others. And then we start talking about like, you know, there's this odd mix of sometimes art doesn't match the words and came up with some examples. And this is like a huge one to me. Like Matt Murdock goes in the building to inspect his Matt Murdock. Then the next panel, if you forget the captions, the next panel is Electro senses somebody in the building. He checks and it's Daredevil. So you imagine as a scripter, you get this and you're just like, okay, well, there's no panels on why he turned to Daredevil. Uh, he's just Daredevil now, so I have to write something. So they write that Daredevil just has like a tingly Daredevil sense that he needs to be Daredevil. Yeah, he just felt like he should change because maybe there's something evil. And off camera, this happens. We don't even see him change. He just right. is Daredevil. So that was really awkward. And another reason this issue is horrible. It feels like a missing page, but it's probably only uh, it probably only is like two or three panels of extra art to make the story work. Um, you know, I mean, if, if anybody can go into a building and sense that Electro's there, it's Daredevil. So that would have been a very easy way to have him just say, oh, there's a crazy supervillain in here who's got crazy sparkle charges going on. I'm going to change into Daredevil. But they mm-hmm. don't. I thought the fight in the dark would make a good on-screen sequence. Mm-hmm. The darkness of the room lit only by Electro's lightning bolts and you get Daredevil moving freely in the darkness because he can see. Well, but you can yeah. quote unquote see. But they didn't really pull it off too good, though. No. Um, um, and and also, here's another thing I don't like. I'm going to just keep picking on little things, but mm-hmm. Daredevil is dodging electricity. 
which he should not be able to detect. How on earth can you do that? Like Spider-Man, okay, because Spider-Man dodges before you even start shooting at him. Right, you know? he has a spider sense. He's got a spider sense. Daredevil does not. So by the time he senses light traveling across the room, shouldn't it already be hitting him? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. So that's just silliness. And when he does get hit, shouldn't he just die? Because he got hit, 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 hit by lightning? Yes. Yeah, you think so. Yeah. Or at least like, go, well, he does go comatose for a while. Okay, so, but yes. normally you go to like the hospital when that happens. Right, you don't just get back up again. Um, all right, and now Electro. Here's where it really tanks. This to me is where it's cemented that I don't like this. Uh-huh. Um, instead of just killing Daredevil, because he wants to cure, kill Daredevil. Kill Daredevil. I think he says somewhere, if I shoot him into space, he'll die or something. So it's like, why not just kill him? He's unconscious. But no, no, I'm going to put him in this rocket, and I somehow know how this rocket works. And Reed Richards has not made it so I can't work this rocket. And he shoots him into space. Um, and that's just crazy. And he thinks that they're going to blame Daredevil for stealing their rocket. They're not going to know that Daredevil took their <laughs> rocket. They're going to come home and the rocket's gone. Yeah. And they're going to look at their security camera and see that Electro did that. Max Dillon is an idiot. Mm-hmm. That's what I've decided. He's yeah. like, this will only be the first of many triumphs for me. Nothing that lives can defeat a man who's master of electricity. Maybe that's true, Max, but not for the reasons you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then astronauts read page 13 and are just like, no. Yeah. No, like, no, 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 no. Like, he knows. <laughs> he doesn't have any sight. So all these dials mean nothing to him. Yeah, and even if even if he had a radar sensor that's fine enough to read the needle on the dial, those dials are covered in glass. Uh huh. I mean, the instruments are not. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like this this alone, this whole scene alone, should take about four issues before he even realizes he's in space. Right. Because realizing he's in space is a big thing. Yeah, it doesn't take him long, and then he kind of just acts like he's cracking a safe, and he figures out which click click to click to get the magical reverse missile course thing to activate. And then he's back. Getting back to the FF building is at least unusual. You know, landing, grabbing a horse, riding the horse through the city, getting up on the top of a building, grabbing the bottom of a helicopter. I don't believe any of it for a second, but it's at least Uh unusual. The thing is he grabs the bottom of the helicopter. I think, Oh, okay. I hope that doesn't go too high. Turn the page. Well, too late. And I don't like this big explanation either. It's like he knew exactly at exactly two minutes and 50 seconds after takeoff, it should directly be over the Baxter building because he hears helicopters all day and he knows exactly where they are at all times. Yeah. And it's like, come Maybe on. he does, but he lets go and he's going to fall and die on that roof. Well, that too. But that, the, that page 16 was one of the parts, parts of the art that I really, really liked. I actually like a lot of the art in this. Sometimes it's not that great, but sometimes it's really, really good. Um, and then, yeah. Just more they, fighty fight fight. Fight fight fight. They fight in a movie theater because I guess the movie's not making too much noise. And yeah. I guess the whole thing oh. took place in And then by the way, he doesn't even stop Electro, the cops do. Right. So what was the point? Good job. You Good know, job, Matt. This this is a very busy day. Yeah. But before we completely uh, stop the discussion of this issue, we do have a very good friend of the show, Dave Weeder, who is kind of famous for his Daredevil nerdery. And he has graciously contributed a few thoughts about Daredevil number two. Now, if you want to hear more of Dave's thoughts on Daredevil, you can go to Dave's Daredevil podcast. And uh, he says 
that issue two loses the noir concepts from issue one and jumps right into more general superheroics. Do you agree with that? Uh, I guess. I mean, he is still fighting the whole urban fight in the beginning, but I don't know. If, yeah, I guess if you think Bonkers is superheroics, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's still urban, but it's not like it's not like the gritty noir type of feel. No, for sure, no, no. He says this starts the book down an uneven path, and the character suffers because he ends up becoming Spider-Man light, complete with a Spider-Man villain. Yeah, yeah, I can see Spider-Man having a plot like this, maybe early Spider-Man. Yeah, and Spider-Man light because it's like not with all the pathos that we have from Spider-Man, but like no, he doesn't, um, he doesn't have the supporting character yet. Some of the visuals of the action are similar to Spider-Man because Daredevil kind of handles himself in the air with his cane, similar to how Spider-Man handles himself with his webbing. Mm -hmm. So I can see that. Also, Spider-Man, Spider-Man really gives away his villains sometimes in these early issues. Like he gives Sandman to the Human Torch. He's giving a lecture to Daredevil, and I don't know if what he's going to let the Hulk fight the Chameleon. Just an attempt to sell books. Yeah. So I guess until the Hulk fights the Chameleon, make ours Marvel. Um, of note, Matt became Daredevil to bring his father's killers to justice, but now he's just out and about as Daredevil during work hours, which I think is an important phrase. Cause like everyone else is at work for the day. What's Matt doing? He's Daredeviling. It's nice when you work for yourself. Right. Long lunches. Yeah. I guess you can, you can do your own hours if it's your own office. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the TV show sort of brought out that thing that like, you know, the real episodes foggy's like, we're here working. Mm-hmm. We're here trying to work this case. Where have you been? Well, remember the first issue, they were all worried that he was lo- missing too. Yeah. So that's weird. Yeah. Um, plus, Matt feels like he is ready for bigger and better things, showing an odd bit of ego forming in his Daredevil disguise with a slight suppression of Matt, which I think I brought this up last time we talked about Daredevil. But yeah, the Daredevil identity becomes a release for Matt Murdock. Where he can just kind of, you know, let his hair hang out, so to speak. Whereas Matt Murdock is like lawyer. And Daredevil is a lot of ego. Mm -hmm. He's a very, uh, maybe not right now, but we all know he's going to become a very flawed character. And a lot of that, I think, is him being stubborn and having an ego. So I'm not sure if if Dave's dislike for this issue is as strong as ours, or even if he does dislike it. But I I can sort of read between the lines here that issue two is not the same kind of book that issue one was. And a lot of what made issue one awesome was not present in issue two, from what it seems to be saying. Yep, I agree with that. And we talked about it for uh, 30 minutes, so that's not great. That's weird. Um, well, And there's no backup issue, story, so that's good. There's no backup stories. So it was one full thing. Uh, next issue is a couple of stories, so we'll break those down. Um, and this is, I think, my favorite of a lot that we're talking about this episode. Possibly my favorite of the lot. Tales to Astonish 57. That's because you're biased. Huh? That's because you're biased. And this is one that I've podcasted about before because it has Spider-Man in it. Exactly. And you get to talk about it. Exactly. So, Tales to Astonish 57, cover dated July 64, released on April April 2nd, I should say. Um, Brilliantly written by good old Stan Lee. Bashfully drawn by lovable old Dick Ayers, boldly inked by faithful old Paul Reinman, and bravely lettered by fearless old Sam Rosen. I didn't do the credits in the last one. Uh, They weren't cool. Story Stan Lee, Art Joe Orlando, inking Vince Coletta, lettering S. Rosen there. Yep, there you go. Okay. It's called uh, uh, On the Trail of the Amazing Spider-Man. 
And it start. I'll try and be quick about it. It starts out with Hank giving Wasp a present. She's like, oh, I love diamonds. So he doesn't give her those. He gives her her new stinger, which is kind of like web shooters, but on the forearm. And instead of shooting webs, they shoot compressed air. So she can, like, knock things over and stuff. Um, it cuts to Egghead. And he has fine-tuned, I guess, his ability to communicate with ants. Or at least this time he's not going to try and, like, barter with them like he did last time. Made that mistake because they're just not people. And he tricks the ants into telling Giant Man that Spider-Man is out looking to beat him up. So Giant Man heroically sends the Wasp to go find Spider-Man. She finds him just swinging around minding his own business because we all know he's not looking to beat up Giant Man. And I can't remember why, but she basically flies up to his face and stings him with the new stinger. I think she's trying to stop him. He's getting too close or something. And he's like, what the heck? Something just blew really hard in my face and starts to fall, catches himself, realizes it's the wasp, captures her. She gets on the radio and is like, he trapped me. That really makes Giant Man mad. So they start a big fight. While they're fighting, and I'm not going to get too much into the fighting. They do a lot of fighty fighting. Spider-Man does Spider-Man things. Giant Man does Giant Man things. But the whole point was Eggman wanted them to fight. So that he can rob a, uh, 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 what do you call it? A payroll uh, truck thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently those are the only two superheroes in New York. So if they're they're busy fighting, no one's going to stop him. And he's right. Nobody stops him. He gets the truck. Um, Unfortunately, though, as he's driving back to the base, the warehouse, the ants see that. And they contact Giant Man again. And he, of course, can pick up anything now with his creepy antenna on his forehead. And he realizes that they've been tricked. And they're fighting for no reason. So all three of them go after Eggman. They make short work of Eggman and his goons. Because, you know, it's Spider-Man and Giant Man and Wasp. And then in the end, they kind of don't really shake hands or anything. Because Spider-Man is a spider, so hate wasps. And Wasps is a wasp so she hates spiders and then they like go their separate ways being mad at each other right the end so um yeah the wasp gets her famous stinger in Mm. this which i have mocked on so many occasions Mm -hmm. and then i looked up what kind of well here's why i mocked it it's a Mm -hmm. compressed air gun it's not a rifle that is launching projectiles with compressed air. It is just, you know, shooting little blasts of air. And I thought, what is that even going to do? But turns out that compressed air is extremely dangerous. It's not a long range weapon. It's a short range weapon, which is really great for Jan because she's going to fly up close to you anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, she could blast out his eardrum by shooting that within six inches of his head. Oh, Um, a very weak, compressed air blast into your mouth will blow a hole in your back of your throat. Wow. I was so, going to say it's non-lethal too, but that sounds kind of lethal. Yeah. Um, shooting compressed air at your skin, your skin is porous. You can actually shoot air into the tissues, which can get into the bloodstream and it should actually cause really bad problems. So um, she actually has a very dangerous weapon. <laughs> and she can clean all his keyboards now. Yeah, <laughs> that too. <laughs> but um, but anyways, so yeah, she had that needle a couple of issues. Actually, back to last time we saw Egghead, she had a needle for like two issues in a row, and then she got rid of it. But um, 
Now she has an actual real stinger. So I don't normally love Dick Ayer's artwork, but I think he's pretty good on this one. Mm-hmm. I like that opening splash page a lot. I think that's kind of neat. I like and, the whole opening scene. I want more of this every issue. Yeah. And even his Spider-Man's not bad. We're not used to other people drawing Spider-Man, but it's all right. Yeah. Uh, and the close-up, whenever Wasp is a close-up on his face there, mm-hmm. is, I mean, you know, the te- the texture shading with the face and everything, yeah. he puts a nose on Spider-Man's mask, which usually you ignore, but up close and personal, it would make sense it would show up. Yeah. I like that scene. I like this whole business with, you know, her finding him and shooting him in the face and him like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Wasp changed her hairstyle, too. So or did she already do that before? Spider-Man has known about the Ant-Man. I'm sorry? Did, did Wasp change her hairstyle for this issue, or was it already happened? Because her hair sticks out of her mask now. I feel like I've seen it before. Okay. But it is cute. I like the hair it's, sticking out, little tufts sticking out around the face. Apparently, it's one of the things, like, I don't know if we need to care, but, like, Invisible Woman changes her hair a lot, and Aunt, or Wasp changes her costume a lot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that she's changed her costume all that much since we started her, but maybe she has. There haven't been a lot of changes. She's lost the point on her head. She's lost the W at her neck. She um, has that in here. Does she have the W still? And she's got antenna now instead of a point. Oh, I was looking at the wrong page. Yeah, there there are antennas sticking up. So that's um, weird. Anyway. There are a few minor details that have changed, but she does... Over the years, she's kind of, that's her thing. She has a new costume like every five days or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 60s, I think Susan Storm went through a lot of hairstyles because, quote, that's what women do, right? Right, sure. Um, so Spider-Man has known about the Ant-Man since issue one of his series. Right, yep. But this is the first time that Ant-Man has acknowledged Spider-Man, which I thought was interesting. I was trying to think if anybody's been in... Tales to Astonish before this. I don't think so. This is the first crossover in this book, yeah? I think so, yeah. Yeah. They've appeared in other books, but I don't think anyone's ever appeared in their book. So Spider-Man's the way to go if you want to sell some money or sell some issues. Yep, yep. Um, But then there's Egghead, too, and I don't know. Eh, I guess that's like his guy. He's the only repeat villain. No, Human Top. Egghead and Human Top are the repeat villains. Porcupine. Porcupine, yeah. Yep, twice. I don't love that the wasp got webbed on page eight and she had to call Henry for help. However, she got to do more constructive action in that one scene than she has had in months. So there's that. Yeah. She knocked Spider-Man off his web for five seconds. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that they've been radio communicating before this either, but I guess now they can do that. It makes sense that they could. Yeah, it's um, probably easier. They probably have been because they're flying around and they're not close enough for their voices to carry. Mm. We could probably understand that they've been on comms this whole time. Kind of weird that Hank sent her out, but um, I guess it makes sense because she's tiny and she can reconnoiter or whatever. But Yeah, search the city as the wasp. You can, as soon as you find Spider-Man, report back to me, but don't tackle him yourself. Yeah, sounds like, uh, I mean, just partner work. Yeah. Why he's not helping her, I don't know, but... I like that she gets to fly solo. Lumber around his giant man, maybe? Maybe. Um, um, so Spider-Man's not exactly in good standing with the cops. Mysterio kind of sent his reputation out the window. So trying to tell the cops that giant man's doing dumb stuff is probably not going to work. Which is a shame because up until that point, it seemed like the cops, every issue went out of their way to say they supported Spider-Man. Right. But that didn't last. 
Um, Page nine, the third panel. Cops are like, I wonder why they're fighting each other. It's me. <laughs> I don't know, but we're going to have to clean up after this. Right. It was a very, um, very Marvel's type of moment where you have like, you know, Joe on the street looking over the, the superheroes from a little bit of a distance. You know, I, I was just I was just going to go get a bagel, but there are these superheroes fighting on the roof. Why are they fighting? I don't know. It's a very early 60s plan of Eggheads to like get the two superheroes to fight so he can rob the city. Right. Because it's like, no one else can stop me. Except the Fantastic Four and Iron Man and Avengers and maybe Submariner on a good day. Doctor Strange, possibly. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of options. Well, I guess that the Fantastic Four are either in Washington or they're on that trip to save Sue hey, from Atlantis. There you go. Um, Avengers are all busy doing their Avengering things so far. Well, we had out the Avengers because Giant Man is one of them. Oh, yeah. So I guess they're not doing anything right now. Thor is probably... Doing, you know, Thor's next issue is taking place at the same time, I guess. Mm-hmm. So he's fighting, uh, fighting Cobra and Mister Hyde. Yeah, but Egghead doesn't know any busy. of that. In Captain America, he's he's training Bucky. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was just down to Giant Man, Wasp, and uh, Spider Man. So I like that Wasp is. Um, does she break them up? Yes, she's the voice of reason on page eleven. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because men are dumb sometimes, and she's like, hold it. What if you're both wrong? Yeah. She also wonders, she also is shocked that Hank cares about her, which is kind of also dumb on her part, maybe. But in, yeah. the, pre- in the previous panel, it's like, I've never seen him so mad before. Just because Spider Man, it's like actually every issue he's mad that you get captured, and but that's okay. Right. It's, she's, it's the sort of thing she should have realized before now, especially since she did the whole, was that just last episode that she did mm-hmm. the whole try to make him jealous by going on a date with somebody else thing? Uh huh. But then they get this warehouse fight, and she puts in a lot of nice uh, hits. So that's pretty good. We're getting some good action with her. Yes. She has to get her butt saved by Giant Man in the end, but like, there's at least five or six panels of her beating people up, so that's neat. And I like how Spider-Man is impressed by them fighting. Like He's never seen Giant Man in action before, so like the size swapping mm-hmm. is, is impressing him on page 12. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, physics. Uh-huh. Page 14 at the bottom. Whenever she uses her air gun at the guy and um, no, it's not the bottom one. It's uh, where is it? I thought it was on page 12 or page 14. I mean, panel one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So her blast on the panel uh, at the bottom of page 13 leading into page 14, it says the unavoidable recoil from a powerful sting gun blast causes the lovely winged blast to lose altitude. Yes. The recoil is an important concept, and I'm surprised they even mentioned it because it's the sort of thing that you would just kind of ignore in comics. Mm -hmm. But if you are flying and you have a weapon with a physical blast of energy of some sort, you are going to get recoil, and there's no ground to anchor. Mm -hmm. So you're actually going to get knocked back with the same force that your projectile goes forward. Uh, it might get offset by a larger mass or something, but it's gonna have it's gonna have a large amount of recoil to it. So the worst weapon ever, ever essentially, because every time she shoots it, she somersaults backwards five feet. She's gonna have to learn how to master that. Yep, maybe like fly start into fly it forward faster or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, lean into it, right? Um, yeah, it was a cool. Epi- it was a cool issue or a story. Issue's not over, but yeah, I feel like Dick Ayers finally figured out how to use the wasp in an action scene. Maybe giving her mm-hmm. a weapon was the way to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Cool stuff. 
The only thing I'm going to say as we're finishing out here is the whole Wasp and Spider-Man thing. Oh, that's dumb. Well, it's yeah. it's it's dumb on one side. You could maybe argue it's less dumb on the other side, but I don't know. It comes out of nowhere, too. It's the last panel on the next to the last page. We've won. It's over. But why do I still feel so hostile towards Spider-Man? I guess it's because wasps and spiders are such natural enemies. Mm-hmm. Like, Jan, stop that. <laughs> She's not genetically <laughs> a wasp, as far as I know. Right. This is not, this is not the, um, what is it? The Ultimates, where she actually has wasp-related mutations, or the 90s, where she actually turns into a wasp woman. This is neither one of those things. Now, Spider-Man is spidery. Uh, uh-huh. So maybe you could say that he just sees her dressed up as a wasp and feels like an instinct to not like her. That's but, also kind of eh, weird. It is weird, because she doesn't look like a wasp, and he can he has human brains, and he can like rationalize that she's not a wasp. And He's never so felt the need to fly before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just all kind of silly. And actually, I didn't really like it because they were being kind of mean in the end there. Yep. They ended, you don't, on, ended on a weird note. Because you don't need me anymore. I got news for you. We never did. Wow. Okay. Stop no, it. No, no, you did. She's. Oh, wait, yeah. she says that to him. Yeah. And then he's like, I wasn't talking to you, lady. You're horrible. All right. So that wasn't nice. Shall we move on to the next story? Wasp has a backup. She has a backup. Like and the backup is, one now. is not involving her telling a story. So this is really important, guys. Pay attention. It's called A Voice in the Dark. Ring-a-ding story plot by Stan Lee. Jazzy script and art by Larry Lieber. Like, wow man inking with Schick Stone. And far out lettering by Sam Rosen. And it starts with Wasp late for a date. So late that she doesn't even change out of her Wasp outfit. She just puts on a fur coat. And she's walking over there when she sees a dude like dive down a manhole cover she realizes that guy just robbed a jewelry store so it's like sorry i'm gonna be late for the date but i'm a superhero so i gotta go after this guy so she shrinks down to wasp size follows him down to this cavern or you know underground tunnel i guess because she's so tiny the fumes are really horrible for her and so she's immediately starts to struggle she finds the guy apparently this takes oh by the way this does take place before she the last story we covered so actually we should have covered this story first this entire podcast is ruined but uh, she doesn't have her stinger yet it told us that in the beginning so she finds a pin she tries to hit him but she misses because she's groggy she tries to uh, tie his shoelaces together but she's groggy and he moves uh, I don't know she tries a bunch of things and it doesn't work finally she's like I have an idea and she goes near his ear and she tells him that she's the invisible woman. You can't see me, but I'm the invisible one. I'm here. And I'm here with the rest of the Fantastic Four. And if you don't turn yourself in, they're going to come barging through this door and beat you up really bad. And this guy gets scared because he's like, "Ah, I can't fight the Fantastic Four. So he turns himself into the police. And Wasp goes to meet Hank. And she's like, sorry, I'm late, but I stopped a jewel thief. And he's like, no, you didn't. I heard the news. That was Invisible Girl. No, no. That was really me. I just was saying I was Invisible Girl. Aren't you? Why are you leaving? Where are you going? Didn't we have a date? No, no. That was with Mr. Fantastic or something like that. And then the end. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, that, wasn't, that was with Hank and I'm Mr. Fantastic, I think is what he says snarkily and leaves because he doesn't believe her. So I'm really glad that Wasp has a backup that's not just telling a story. Turns out we've had the last one of those. Issue 56 was the last one. Awesome. Um, actually, they do give a nod to her storytelling thing at the beginning of this. Cause like, that's what she was doing earlier today was telling That's why she's in her wasp costume. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. But, and 
she does some cool stuff in this, but there are also some things that kind of make me shake my head. Mm-hmm. The ending I, is one. I like, I, well, yeah, Hank being a jerk, but that's nothing new. Um, I liked it. It reminded me of, I mean, sure, it would be cool if she just went in there and beat him up the end. But mm-hmm. it was sort of fun to watch her sort of like struggle and stuff. And I don't know why it reminded me of a, you know, like an Archie comic kind of thing or something. <laughs> like, here's the backup adventures of, of you know, Veronica or something like that. Right. Um, that's what it reminded me of. And I'm sure they're all going to be like that. Well, it reminded me of Ant-Man stories. Well, I guess that's like, true, she's too. she's super small and she's doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and the reason it... The reason I'm bothered is because, like, she's basically just being Ant-Man in this issue. She's being Ant-Man with wings. Mm-hmm. Everything that Hank, Hank could do, she can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and she could have stopped the guy. She could have tied his shoelaces together. She tries to do that. She could, There are a variety of things that she could do to stop him. I mean, she has stunned the Hulk. If she can stop the Hulk, she can stop this guy. Mm-hmm. But then, whenever she's brought about in the story as being ineffectual... It's done by invoking the name of another superheroine and like using her ineffectuality as a cover. I'm the invisible woman. And if you don't behave, my boys are going to come beat you up. And the Fantastic Four are on their way. You better watch out. I'm not a threat, but I'm threatening you with the threat that is, you know. So it's just, it rubbed me the wrong way. Hmm. But that was one bit because I liked a lot of the action that she had here. I think it was just supposed to be funny. I think the whole thing was supposed to be mostly funny. I mean, and there is the excuse that there's some sort of toxic fumes that's making her unable to stun this guy. Yeah. Um, but I never really felt like she was in any immediate, any real danger. So like her comical solution sort of fit with the rest of the plot where this guy wasn't, this guy didn't even know she was there the entire time. Um, that's how much of a fight it was, you know? Well, choose your own adventure of interpretations. I mean, if she's, if she's, I'm sorry, another audio glitch did me to talk over you. What were you saying? Nothing. Go ahead. So um, choose your own adventure with interpretations because, like, we could say, okay, so she knows this stuff is making her groggy. She knows that she has taken down a peg. So instead of just losing the fight like Spider-Man might do, she's actually being clever mm-hmm. and scaring the guy with something that she knows will be formidable for him and making him behave. So if you want to take it that way, that it could be a plus on her mark because she's being clever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess it, it, there's a, way, a variety of ways to read something. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't bug me that much. And it's much better than a stupid story. Another stupid story. Yeah. But, but speaking you know, of stories. Speaking of stupid story, No, these, this story may not be that stupid, but shall we move on? Journey into Mystery 105. Yeah. Back on the rampage again, the Cobra and Mr. Hyde. And... Whenever I think of early Kirby Thor, this is what I think of. This team up against Thor right here with the Cobra uh-huh. and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. I also think of the um, Trial of the Gods, but that's still several months away. That's happening around the time. Around the time that the Avengers changes roster and Thor's just not there because he's off doing Thor stuff. Um, anyways, so this is written by Happy Stan Lee, drawn by Healthy Jack Kirby, inked by Husky Shickstone and lettered by Hasty Art Simic, which could be the first time that they take a crack at the letterer in the credits. No, they just did it in the last... Well, a crack? Yeah, maybe. They gave him some praise yeah, in the last one. Right, a lot of times the uh, the letterer is self-deprecating in the credits, and Hasty may just mean he's doing a good job because he has to letter so much so quickly. It might not be a crack. Mm. 
Um, but hasty is not always used as a uh, as a complimentary term. So I wasn't sure how to read it. All right, we open. It's the end of an Avengers meeting. Thor is chilling with the Avengers. They're done talking about whatever it is that Avengers talk about. So they all go their separate ways. And Thor is flying through town whenever Cobra sees him from the top of the Empire State Building or some other steepled structure. And he shoots Cobra darts at Thor. And Thor's like, oh my gosh. And it disorients him long enough for Cobra to like throw him off his path. And whenever Thor tries to retaliate, he can't find Cobra. Cobra slithers off into a random apartment that turns out to be uh, the same apartment as what's his brains. Um, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, Mr. Hyde. I can't remember his, his actual name. Calvin oh. Zabo, maybe? Yeah, yes, Calvin Zabo. So Calvin Zabo's there, and he sees Cobra sneak into his house. He's like, I'll take my potion that turns me into Mr. Hyde. And he takes his potion that turns him into Mr. Hyde. And they fight. Um, and then they realize that they both hate Thor. So they're going to be best friends now. Let's go fight Thor together. So Thor flies back to his doctor's office, turns into Don Blake, flirts with Jane. Uh, actually, Jane wishes she, he would flirt with her, but he doesn't. And she pulls the whole, this is becoming a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. She pulls the whole, I'm going to go on a date with other person. So I'll just see you later because she wants to make him jealous. And he responds neutrally because he thinks that she doesn't actually love him very much. And it's 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 happened a number of times now. Um, so meanwhile, Mr. Hyde has this really cool invention that he shows the Cobra. It's a, uh, a way back visualizer kind of thing. You shoot it at somebody and then you get like a projection of the last few things that person did. So you can like see their immediate past. Like, oh, if we can go shoot this at Thor, we can figure out where he's flying from, wherever he shoves up. Where, where is he? Where is he when he's not being Thor? So um, they go and rob something somewhere and Don Blake's on the news and he hears, hey, those are the bad guys. I'm going to go after them as Thor. And he goes after uh, the jewelry store. He sees Mr. Hyde. Um, they fight. Cobra shoots the visualizer at him and he sees that Thor has flown out of Dr. Don Blake's office window. So they're like, oh, okay, now we know where he is. Um the fight between Thor and Mr. Hyde ends kind of like with Mr. Hyde just getting away really quickly and Thor doesn't know what to do. So he goes back home and he's like, you know what? Just like Michael and John have been saying on their podcast, being Thor is really messing up my Don Blake life. And I don't actually have to do it. So you know what? Um, I'm I'm going to try to quit. I'm going to try to quit this 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 habit that I have. So he puts his cane in a locked cabinet. He's like, you know what? Let's try 24 hours. Can I stay off this for 24 hours? I don't know. Um, so immediately after putting his thing away, his his walking stick away, Cobra and Mr. Hyde break into his office. They're like, Thor is here somewhere. Dr. Blake, where is he? Tell us what you know. And he's like, I, I don't know anything. How do I know anything about Thor? They're like, we know you're lying. So they um, are wrestling with Don Blake. Meanwhile, Jane is tired of her date because she actually loves Don Blake. So she comes back to her office. She walks in. They're manhandling her boy. So um, I forget what. I think it's like an old, like old Thor comic move of like why everybody's looking the other direction. He oh, turns the- into Thor. He grabs his. Oh, yeah. It's the best part of the issue. <laughs> yeah. He grabs his cane while they're all looking the other way and turns into Thor. He's like, Don Blake ran out that door. Yeah. So, um, you know, 
Mr. Hyde and Cobra were really wanting to capture Thor. Now they have him. So what do they do? Run away, run away. So they skadoosh out the door, out the window um, in two different directions. So Thor has to go after one of them. Uh, he goes after Mr. Hyde. They tussle in like a, a junkyard or a machine shop or something. I forget. There's machinery involved. And the story ends with Cobra showing up, operating one of the machines. It grabs the hammer out of Thor's hand with the machine. And now Thor can't get the hammer. And so we have an old school 60 second time limit and we end on a cliffhanger. Yeah. So this might be my favorite issue for tonight. Okay. But I don't know what I have to say about it. I just thought Kirby was doing a really good job. And the pacing's pretty good. And, you know, Mr. Hyde and Cobra working together is pretty classic. I put a lot of my thoughts into the synopsis, actually. A lot of my comments, uh-huh. I guess. Um, well, let me say this. Like, this is our second Cobra appearance, right? Uh-huh. And the first one, I think, was drawn by Don Heck, pretty sure. And I remember complaining at that time that even though he was bitten by a radioactive cobra, most of the things he did were not very cobra-like. It was just him using technology that he didn't even establish that he had, like throwing bombs and stuff. That had nothing to do Mm -hmm. with a cobra motif. So I like that. I assume Kirby came up with, no, no, actually, he shoots you know, venom sting teeth things out of his wrists. And I like the way he makes him like slippery and like he's bone. Yeah. Like he's boneless and you know, like Thor can't hit him because he can slip down the side of a building and slip through a window and he can almost fold backwards and stuff. You know, now he feels, now he feels more snake-like. So that was cool. Both of these bad guys are heck creations from that. Those few issues, whenever the Kirby run had started, but not really. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, heck brought in both of these bad guys. Now Kirby is bringing them in, which I thought was pretty great. Um, you know, we're in the Avengers meeting at the beginning of the story, but last time we saw the Avengers, they had finished up with the lava men and were rushing off to answer an emergency call. Oh, so we're out of order again. Yeah. So this would have to be taking place after that next Avengers issue. Pretty lackluster pinup for an Avengers pinup too, by the way. Sorry, Kirby. That's like the one thing where... Maybe you failed a little bit because people just sitting down is not that exciting. Right. Oh, oh, oh. In the Avengers meeting, page two, panel two, Iron Man says, if the meeting's over, Cap, and uh, if the meeting's over, Cap and I will remain. He promised to show me some new judo holds. And, and it's like, you know, I heard, Mike, that Cap's America had an old partner named Bucky. Sure is good that Cap's taking Iron Man under his wing to train him like this, like his <laughs> old partner. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and Rick actually, Jones isn't here. I I like uh the idea of, you know, sometimes these guys who have powers just rely on those powers and I always think, wouldn't it be great if you also learned how to fight? Oh no, I really really do like that. Mhm. I just think it's funny that, you know, I know. That's like his his role in the world the, right now. The thing they did with Rick Jones. Yeah. Right. Um I don't think they follow up. I, I don't think they follow up see. on this Iron Man judo thing, but at some point they will. Because I've read those like yeah Bob Layton titles where he actually teaches Tony how to fight because Tony needs to know how to fight and stuff. And I don't know if that's seventies or eighties. I think when it's I think it's late seventies. Okay, maybe. Okay. Anyway, long ways away. But one thing I was gratified to not see in this was there was no Cobra and Mister Hyde plotting each other's downfall. No, they actually like, worked together pretty good. Yeah. 
There was no, as soon as we're done with this, I'm through with him, which happens so often. Cobra was just kind of cool with letting Hyde sort of lead the show. Because mm-hmm. he has that neat technology that makes no sense. And and the plan was not a terrible plan. No. It assumes that Thor is going to be easier to beat if they can just surprise him, which is kind of a big assumption that ends up not working out for them. But it was worth a try. And I like that the tech didn't work the way they wanted it to because they don't realize that Thor transforms. So mm-hmm. it only showed him so far back. It showed him far back enough to see Don Blake's office, but they don't know why he was in it because it stopped showing. It stops working as soon as Thor turns to Donald Blake because that's how the tech works. That was very clever. I thought so too. Yeah. Um, I mentioned my synopsis. Don Blake figured out what we have been telling him for months. Yes. Now, do you think he made the right decision? Because you could go either way. I'll be Don Blake all the time or I'll be Thor all the time. Um. You know, from his perspective, he's always been Don Blake. Yeah. And he loves the woman and he yep. wants to move forward in his life. And being Thor is messing that up. Mm-hmm. So I would have to say from an in-universe perspective, he is making what I would think is the better decision. And now my next question is, do you think that even if he gave it up and never was Thor again and dated Jane, that Odin wouldn't come down and be mad at him? Oh, I, I think there would be some repercussions. I mean, yeah. Odin intended for Don Blake to learn how to live a mortal life and and find the cane and become Thor and rejoin Asgard. All of that was exactly according to plan. So giving it up right now, no, he would not be happy about that. Um, Did you notice how ripped Don Blake is now? Uh Uh-huh. He's Kirby ripped. Yeah, he's got some definite muscle tone. Like, remember remember in the early issues Uh of I forget who the artist was, but he was like... He was like really narrow shoulders and he was just a big headed skinny guy. Yeah. I don't think that was Kirby though. He's been working out. Uh, Maybe Thor rubs off on him. The more he changes to Thor, the more that carries over into, into being Donald. I don't know. Yeah. Cause when he turns back to Donald, he's at full health or something. So he grows muscle. So uh, 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 I like that. It's like, I'll try it for 20. What did he say? 24 hours. I'll try and give it up. Uh huh. And then it lasts like a panel. As soon as he says it, they break in. He's like, where's my cane? (laughs) Poor guy. See, that's the problem with with giving up powers is something you're going to encounter is going to make you want to use those powers or you're a jerk for not doing it, you know? Yeah, it's it's one of the tropes of the of this universe. Is like if you are in a superhero universe, you are doomed to always be a superhero. You can't get out of it. It's going to happen. I mean, I don't know how many muggings you've seen take place, but I've never seen a single one. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and yet anytime Spider-Man decides that's it, no more being Spider-Man and he's walking to school, there's going to be a mugging. Right. So that's really sad. And he, and that's happened before. There are times where Peter Parker decides that, you know, he has to make certain priorities and he passes by something mm-hmm. and it never goes well for him. No. And it, nor should it. That's not very nice. If you can stop it, you should. Anyway. Have you seen the far from home trailer yet? I did. Yeah. I finally okay, caved. So, so there's the thing where he's like packing his suitcase, decides not to take the Spider-Man costume. Uh-huh. And I've seen some people dogging on that decision. I'm like, no, no, no. That is a very Peter Parker decision. Yeah. Yes, he's learned that with power comes responsibility, but he's also a teenage kid who gets tired of the responsibility and just wants to be a person. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man does that in the comics, and it is a setup for a story that is not going to go well. And also, if you tie it to Homecoming him being Spider-Man really wrecked the whole, uh, you know, prom and liking what's her face and yeah, kind of ruined his social life in a way. So that's probably just a carryover. 
Mm-hmm. So now, go ahead. I kind of went. I kind of went past this in the synopsis, but I feel like I need to bring it out. Whenever they captured Don, uh-huh. he had put his cane in the cabinet and uh-huh. locked it. Uh, Hyde starts like ransacking the place to show his strength to threaten Don Blake. In the process, he finds the cane, the walking stick from the cabinet. And Don Blake says that with, um, if you tap it on the floor and look out the window, that's the Thor signal. And he'll appear. That's my favorite part the of the story. The Thor signal is to, to, to take a piece of wood and hit the floor with it. And he'll yes. show up in the sky. Yes, but it's the greatest paddle in the world. Him standing there, the two stupid dummy villains looking out the window. And Jane too, by the way, or else she'd see the transformation. Although and, laterally, she, he is definitely in her peripheral vision. Uh, well, still, I just think it's hilarious. Like, okay, guys, now look out the window. That's it. Good job. Now tap the stick. <laughs> and then he's just like Thor behind them. That's hilarious. That also like really opens up some uh, rules here because we were literally just asking, can anybody pick up the stick? Right. Uh, Hyde is picking up the stick. And on top of that, when Hyde taps the stick, Donald turns to Thor. Exactly. That's weird. So right? how's that going on? Is that ever going to happen again? Or is that just a one-time get-out-of-jail-free thing that they're making up right now? Okay, all of you Thor continuity nerds out there. Yeah. This is a thing that is happening. Somebody else is tapping the cane on the floor, and Don Blake is becoming Thor. How does that work? And um, Yeah. But it's just so cool because then like Hyde falls over and the hammer flies out of, you know, it flies so fast back to Thor's hand that Don, that Hyde doesn't even know he had the hammer. Because mm-hmm. the hammer like knocks him down, right? Because he he's not worthy of lifting the hammer. Right. So, so holding the hammer just, in his hand falls him over. It's just a scene it, that made me laugh and I liked it. I like it too. So after that is just action and I really don't have anything else to say nah. about the book. Other, other the, than the, there's a machine show. I guess there's machine shows. That just seems kind of funny. Oh, well, here's another mythos thing. The the robot is picking up the hammer. mm -hmm. Put it in an elevator. It goes up. Elevator not worthy. And and again, the whole worthy thing here isn't really a thing. It's all about strength. Mm -hmm. So this atomic-powered hydraulic hoist Mm -hmm. has enough power to lift anything. We know that. Because the cobra mentally thinks it. Uh-huh. Therefore, it must have enough power to lift the hammer out of Thor's hand. Yeah. So cliffhanger, guys. I hope I hope next time it's better than the last Thor cliffhanger, but uh with as Mr. Far Hyde. As remembering what's going on in the resolution? <laughs> yeah, with Mr. Hyde. Uh, yeah. We'll see though. Um somebody online recently mentioned the Jack Kirby machinery. And someone's like, Jack Kirby draws machinery. And I'm like, yeah, Jack Kirby draws yeah, machinery. He does. Uh-huh. But there, there are some small examples of it on the top of page 17, just oh, yeah. so you know. He draws weird machines. Awesome, overly complicated machinery. Mm-hmm. That's like one of his things. It kind of gets carried over into like the whole new gods and all that stuff, doesn't it? Like all those yeah. guys, all those guys in their tech have crazy Kirby tech. Eternals and New Gods both have crazy Kirby tech. And that that's the 70s where Kirby's like really opening up the art and just like doing these huge pictures of crazy geometry. Omac 2. That's another one. I've never read Kirby Omac. I've read a little. I've mostly read that that uh, John Byrne miniseries, but that sort of ties into it. So, Heimdall? Heimdall. When he All failed. Right. When Heimdall failed, 
This is me, right? I was doing the synopsis. I yes, you were. <laughs> Hemdell, when the walls fell. <laughs> Balder and Sif at Asgard. <laughs> well, there, our synopsis is done, everybody. I don't know if you can understand that language, but. So um, there are these two randos. Um, <laughs> yep. The king of the storm giants and his advisor or sorceress or somebody. Mm-hmm. Her name is Nedra and she knows how to get past Heimdall so that the storm giants can raid Asgard. She calls down uh, a fairy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they call them the Vanna and this Vanna they're, they're, they're creatures of the air, so they can be invisible if they want to. Now, Heimdall's thing is that he can see anything, anywhere, anywhen. So she's going to send this fairy creature that can make himself invisible after Heimdall. So Heimdall's just, you know, chilling out there on the rainbow bridge. Vanna, the Vanna shows up and starts buzzing around him. And he's like, I don't know what this is. Something's happening. I know there's something that's antagonizing me, but I can't tell what it is. I'm swinging my sword. I don't even know why I'm swinging it. I can just tell there's something here. So he goes and raises the alarm with Asgard. Um, They raise their defenses. And I guess at the end of the day, Odin's like, wait a second, and captures the Vanna and tells him to go, you know, fly around somewhere else. And at first, Heimdall's all apologetic. I, I'm not a good guard. I couldn't see the threat. And Oda's like, no, dude, you didn't see the threat, but you knew there was a threat. And even though you couldn't explain it, you raised the alarm anyway. So you are actually the awesomest and go back out and stand on the rainbow. <laughs> no promotion for you. Right. So this was fun. Yeah. Every time I read these, I'm like really curious to know if they did a good job or not. And, uh, you know, we'll get to that. With, but With adapting the source material? Yeah, that's what I always think about when I'm reading these. Like, I'm always trying to guess. Is this legit or is this just a Stan Lee thing? I think we're going to find in a minute this is completely a made-up story, but I could be wrong. I just gave the the, the notes from Gene a skim. Well, but I, I kind of agree, except I do like the Vanna thing. That seems awfully, uh, you know, specific. specific. Yeah, so maybe they right. are borrowing some elements somewhere. And borrowing elements to make your own story is kind of the whole idea behind bringing the Norse god Thor into the comics in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. You want to tell your own stories based on his elements. No, I mean, I don't really care if they make it up or not. I'm just always curious if they have. I actually, like I think I've said before, I like that I'm never really sure. That, to me, suggests that they're doing a good job of making these seem mythological in Mm -hmm. nature, even if they're not actually borrowing from the actual myths. And the vast majority of these, as we've said, feel like a myth story. They they have mm-hmm. the simplicity. They have the this happened because it happened kind of feel to things. Uh-huh. And they establish the why and the wherefore of sometimes uh, either why the character is always at his post or why the aspect of nature is happening. And that's why we made myths. Now, the downside, of course, is that since they are telling this in a mythological way, we're not really getting a lot of character beats from you know, who Hemdel really is or who Odin is or how Asgard works or any of that stuff. Right. It's more just like, and there came a day when Hemdel failed at his job. And then, lo, he was the best at his job, the end. And you don't really walk away learning anything, but it's a fun read. 
I feel like I feel like they are broad character notes. They're not like deep character notes, right, but we right, definitely right. have a better feel for Heimdall as oh yeah, as far as what he is and what kind of warrior he is. Mm-hmm. We don't know his you know if he likes pineapple on his pizza, but we have a feel for what to expect from him. I think we know he likes to put a big H on his shield. Yes, yes, he that's does. important. You know those um, <laughs> those Norsemen with their Roman letters. That's not even. A, does he have a last name? I don't know, but it's just kind of funny. H. Um, anyway, I'm gonna guess that it's probably Harrison. Emil Harrison. Harrison. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then there you go. It's his last name. <laughs> okay. So shall we see what Gene Gene the podcasting machine has to say? For sure. As guardian advisor, Gene Hendricks, friend of the show, uh, he has written in to say, "I have no idea ah. who King Brimmer or Nedra are." Okay. But since they're storm giants, that makes sense because there are no storm giants in the lore. So these would have to be Marvel-only characters. Wow, they even made up the race, huh? Mm-hmm. Similarly, the air spirit, or Vanna, is not familiar to me. In the lore, Vanaheim is the home of the Vanir, the other tribe of gods. Hmm. So Frey, Freya, and their father, Niord are actually Vanir that were given to the Aesir as hostages after the war between the two tribes. Okay. So, wow, they just made up everything. I'm trying to remember, what did what did Tolkien call his gods? Were Is they, that where Vanna came from? I think they were Valar. The Valar? But I know that Tolkien took a lot of cues from Norse concepts when he was making his, his mythology. He called his the Valar, not the Vanar, or Vanir. Valar, yeah. I just looked it up. Yeah. Lords of the Valar. Uh, so Gene continues, in any case, this shows a surprising amount of cunning for giants. That's probably because it was Nedra's idea. Keep in mind that magic is typically associated with the female in the Norse worldview, and magic involves mm. planning. I would continue with that with magic is associated with women in most of the world. Right. Like, the magical woman is definitely a part of storytelling to their detriment in the West and to their betterment in the East for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting because, like, we have Enchantress. Although we have Loki, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does tend to be a female. Yeah. And it's not a universal thing by any stretch of the imagination, but in a lot of, like, like post-Christendom storytelling, if you have magic or magical power that's usually not coming from God. And so if a person has it, it's usually, you know, not a good thing. They're usually demonized because of it. And if those are women, then women of power are not trusted and not, you know, raised up in stories. Right. Women are evil. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, uh, he's going to say, that's not to say there aren't men that practice magic, Odin among them, but that's not the norm. Think of it this way. Women concentrate on strategy the overall planning of an encounter, and men concentrate on tactics, what to do in the moment. I like that. Mm -hmm. Like the last issue, this is another fill-in story since it's telling us something that we didn't know already from any source. It also shows just how powerful Heimdall's senses are, which includes his sense of duty. (laughs) Odin is shown here just why Heimdall was the correct choice to guard the Bifrost. Bifrost. Also cool that Odin can just tell this invisible thing to show itself and it has to. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's God. He's like, you know what? I'm in charge. Yeah. 
Okay, so that brings us to the end of Journey into Mystery 105. Thank you for writing in, Gene, because we always appreciate your input. Very. Um, it was a fun little story. Yeah, it was cool. All right. Shall we move on to... <laughs> we got one yeah, more book we are, we're going to do. Just... We're only at 130. That usually means we've covered three books, and we have, but we're going to squeak in one more. Cause it's not going to take long. It's not going to take long, I hope. We keep saying that, and then we talk about it a lot. Because we love loving stuff. But here we go. Actually, this is a short story, so it's really not going to take that long, hopefully. It is The Power of Iron Man in Tales of Suspense number 55. Is that the same April baloney? Or, uh... April, this is our first oh, April 9th ooh, comic. We've moved on a week. We yep. are on April 9th. And it's called No One Escapes the Mandarin. Let's see if it has any... Nope. Oh, yeah. Written by Friendly Stanley, illustrated by Faithful Don Heck, lettered by Fearless Art Simek. Eh, as descriptions go. Not super exciting, but there you go. Uh, Iron Man is captured. If we remember from last time we talked about Iron Man, he uh, invaded the Mandarin's home again, and he got his uh, iron booty kicked again, and now he's stuck in a Doctor Doom-like trap that involves magnets and cables, and his transistor power is at an all-time low, so he can't break out. And just as the Mandarin is going to use his ring to press the kill Iron Man button, Iron Man stalls him and says, hey, what about Tony Stark? And Mandarin's like, what? He's like, yeah, remember how like Tony Stark drove into your castle and your guards took him in? And he's like, yeah. Well, he's still here then, right? Yeah, well, he's really smart, and he's going to wreck your whole missile capturing thing from last issue. And, our, and Mandarin's like, oh, my gosh, I got to go find the Mandarin, or go find Tony Stark. So he just leaves Iron Man in the cap, in the, uh, you know, trap, which, of course, allows Iron Man to, not of course, I think this might be the first time that he establishes that he can now recharge his transistors on the fly. Um, so he does, becomes full power Iron Man again, easily snaps the bands we have a little recap, and then, uh, um, um, oh yeah, so Mandarin's like looking around the castle. Tony, where are you, Tony? Can't find him. Meanwhile, the uh, the United States shoots another pink rocket into the air. Uh, so Mandarin's like, hey, I'll steal this one too. But when he tries to do it, Iron Man comes out from nowhere and says, ha ha, and punches him. He tries to break the computer that stops the. Uh, that, that powers the whole capturing the missile thing. But the Mandarin's like, no, once it starts, you can't stop it. So Iron Man flies out the castle window and pushes the uh, missile out of the way of the beam. But unfortunately, he himself gets stuck in the tractor beam and he gets pulled back into the castle. But on his way in, he just reaches up and grabs some brick, rips the brick <laughs> off and like just tosses it, hurls it right into uh, the Mandarin's big computer console, which really upsets the Mandarin because I guess this computer console was made up of parts that are really impossible to find. So he can never rebuild it. Um, then they start fighting some more. I think at some point, like the Mandarin starts using his rings to make himself look big, or that's just an illusion from the castle. I can't remember. And then there's like lots of Mandarins, but... Iron Man manages to punch the right one because he has, you know, Iron Man senses. And then ultimately he like Iron Man just decides he can't beat the Mandarin. So he hitches a ride on his own missile back to America, leaving the Mandarin in his castle, just like he did last time. Um, and then Tony Stark reunites with Pepper and uh, Happy. And Happy's like, well, Happy was stuck. Um, having to run things that were over his head because Tony Stark got mad that 
Happy loves Pepper because now Tony loves Pepper. And so he's relieved that that's over. But then, like, Tony made this big point of, like, having Pepper sit on his lap in the limousine so that Happy would have to suffer. And then, like, when the tire blew out, he told Happy to stay behind and change the tire while he and Pepper, like, hold hands and walk home. And that's how the story ends, with Tony being a huge jerk. Yep. Yeah. So, man, you know what I was just thinking as I was summarizing that? The, that? the Mandarin's, like, the most successful villain we have. How so? Because he never really loses. Right. Like, even Doctor Doom, theoretically, kind of sort of dies every time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the Mandarin is still, he's in his castle, being the king of his castle at the end every single time. Like, Iron Man just leaves him there because he can't beat him. Like, he stops him from doing the one thing he's, like, you know, doing for the story, but he doesn't, like, defeat him or take him down a peg or anything. Yeah, he stops his plan, but doesn't capture him. No, never captures um, him, never hurts him. Can't be in a fight. And that's what you're saying about Doctor Doom. Like, we're not turning Doctor Doom over to the police, but we are doing something that, like, that, like, seems to bring an end to Doctor Doom mm-hmm. at the end of the story. Yeah, Doctor Doom went from being the king of his castle to being floating in space and having to be saved by aliens. You know, Mandarin. That doesn't right. happen. He's still at his house. He still has all his stuff. So there are a couple of things I had on this. Really, not very much. And I know I say that every time, but really, there's like three things. Okay, and I'm not even going to get a whole lot of comment. Um, the opening panel, mm-hmm. Mandarin says, "Iron Man, are you mad? You dare smile at the face of death?" And my thought was. How do you know he's smiling? Because his faceplate is smiling, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know either. That's a weird one. Um, Iron Man just like sits still for a while and somehow that's able to regenerate his... I guess he's... in. I guess he is, since the beginning of his career, he's installed a generator in his suit. Okay. I was wondering about that because I don't remember that. I always thought he had to plug in. And it says, right. my miniature generator is working full blast to bring my built-in transistors up to peak strength. So now it's like he just has to pause, at least for the transistors. Which, Maybe not the part that keeps the shrapnel from killing him. Going into his heart. Yeah. Well, they're already in his well, heart. Actually, in the comics, it's in his heart. Yeah, it just keeps his heart beating. Um, <laughs> Around the shrapnel. <laughs> it'd be cool if it'd be cool if all the time okay. Tony. It'd be cool if every every panel panel of Tony had like a bleeding shirt or something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think the whole generator thing like is electrically sound because like my rudimentary understanding of power is that like you have to have energy to transfer energy. So usually our electricity comes from like water pushing something or nuclear materials giving off radiation. And so we have a power cell that can translate that to electricity. So he's just like sitting there. Where is the energy coming from? That's powering the generator to power his suit. That part has. Yeah. Is it like a battery or something? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm trying to think of like, see, we have like in our garage, I have a way to charge my car without needing to plug it in. So that's just like a battery, external battery, but that's not a generator, so I don't know. No. I don't know. But, I don't know if he can like like move his hand in a circle a whole bunch of times really fast and that like turns a wheel in his wrist or something. I don't know. Maybe there's something turning on the inside of him. Maybe we're just not Tony Stark. That's probably it. We are just not <laughs> Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot in this story because I mean the stuff with Happy and Pepper is really short and silly um, and silly. We continue, like, it was just last issue that suddenly, out of nowhere, Tony Stark has a major crush on Pepper. Uh-huh. 
and his and that moves forward in this. And his treatment of Happy because of it is kind of sloppy, in my opinion, or not sloppy, but yeah. mean. Um, but honestly, like this fight, didn't the didn't the first Mandarin also was to be continued or no? No, I thought it was. The first Mandarin story was not to be continued. Okay. Um, but this one was. It just seems really repetitive, kind of. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's the same location. Iron Man gets beat kind of the same way, badly. Iron Man flies away, and there's no real resolution. The end, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of and weird. And he gets back home, and there's the, the gag about how Happy was really doing a good job running things when he was gone, when he wasn't doing a really good job running things while he was gone. So now did Tony, I think when he establishes that he loves Pepper, does he also say some cliche superhero thing like, but I can't, oh, I can't be with her because of my chestal region or something? Or, I don't think he says that at this point. I think he actually... Because why can't he just have Pepper then? She loves him back. Right. And they're like hugging each other and she's literally sitting on his lap in this one panel and they're walking home in the evening moonlight. So it's like, what is stopping this love triangle from becoming a duo? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's true. I don't know what he said. I, I'm looking. He doesn't say anything. He just, he enjoys being next to Heather, uh, next to Pepper. Okay. So that's weird. He says, uh, no need. Uh, actually, when she hugs me, he's like, I'll have to worry about you more often. Yeah. And um, no need to drive so fast. Happy. We've got all the time in the world now. Yeah. Right, she's leaning up against him in the car. And they, while he's fixing their flat tire, they're going to walk. Call us when it's fixed. Happy. Pepper and I are going to look at the moon for a while. Yeah. I was which wondering. is, you know, a romantic trope. Oh, see, it is the last issue. I would like to be with Pepper always, but dare not expose her to the dangers that Iron Man must face. I knew he said something stupid like that. Okay. Not this issue, though. This issue, it's like he wants to be with Pepper, but he can't. But, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna really drive her crazy because I know she likes me. So I'm going to hug her a lot and walk in the moonlight with her. And then when she like wants to kiss me and stuff, I'm going to say, no, sorry, I can't because Iron Man. Right. That's not very nice. It is not at all. We do get the promise at the end of this issue that starting next issue, every Iron Man story is going to be a full 18 pages long. Woo-woo. Um, and really, in the letter columns and everything, they when they refer to this book, they no longer refer to it as suspense. They're now calling it Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So it's Tales of Suspense featuring the power of Iron Man. Yeah. So you have the amazing Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, the power of Iron Man. Um, not for but that's long. But that's, that's not going to last too much longer. Because we know the future, and in the future, there's a Star Spangled Avenger coming soon. That'll help save the book or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Probably not. But anyway. So, so there's then, more cool stuff. I don't know how we can, like, I don't know if it's really, I don't have a lot to say about it, but we should say that no, what's it, in it. But it's here. It's here. So go ahead. Summarize it. Oh, that's right. It's me. Is it me? Yeah. No, it's you. Oh, it is. Okay. I'm sorry. So <laughs> there's this pinup called All About Iron Man. It's not a pinup. I guess it's a whole section of story by Stanley and Don Heck. Cool pinup, though, with all his villains and stuff in the background. Um, and it talks about how his suit works, you know, those, that bonkers thing that we think is weird. But it really gets into detail about how it all works. So I would just totally eat that up if I was, you know, 12 years old and reading this. And then it goes into another story, more info about Iron Man. It talks about his strength and his, you know, microfibers and his the people in his life. And then there's a Pepper Potts pinup page. Say that five times fast. <laughs> um, and that's got her like posing for somebody, I guess, happy. And he's standing behind her looking sad with a camera. Um, and it talks about Pepper, all about her yes. hair, her age, her weight, her height, her figure. And then like some information about 
how she used to be freckled face and ugly, and now she's not. Right. Yeah. Went to her beauty parlor and shot the works. Today she's one of the most gorgeous females in comics. So, hey. you know, yeah. the measurements and stats are typical, you know, stuff. Yeah. Um, my daughter had things to say about this image. Okay. Hourglass much? I mean, huh? yeah. Yeah. Where are her organs? <laughs> where is where is her rib cage? Because like above the cinched waist, your torso should be coming down at more of a more of a straight line because you know you've got ribs there. Um, her hip, one of her hips is like angular, which is weird, and um, her chest is sticking out in one direction, really weirdly. Yeah, I think this bathing suit does not help the design of it. Yeah. It's all black with like diamonds in different colors. And that doesn't really help you figure out where she starts and where it stops. I feel like this is definitely a 1964 kind of ideal woman-y look though. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They liked, they really liked the hourglass back then. Um, So the more distorted and weird, the better, I guess. And it's, it's a 1960s swimsuit, Mm -hmm. which is one piece. And the, uh, the cut of the lower part of the one piece covers a bit more than one pieces tend to. Nowadays, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's it also weird... it's cartoony because it's a cartoon, and to be fair, like I'm sure Happy doesn't look normal either. So, right, uh, I mean, you, they just take artistic license, but it is a little weird. I like when they do these kind of things, though, something different, you know, like information that harkens to what will eventually be probably like the handbook or something like that. Well, just just to throw it out, not for nothing, but. Um... You know, swimsuit specials were like a really big thing in the eighties and nineties. Oh yeah, as far as like the Sports Illustrated swimsuit special and I bought you know, them. Image Comics, they put out a homage studio swimsuit special in nineteen ninety three, and my daughter and I tore it to pieces <laughs> <laughs> on episode sixteen of all the pouches and Image Comics podcast. Well, there which you go. Is usually a pretty positive show, and I don't. I almost never spend time, you know, ragging on the art when there, there's the occasional art flub. But we decided to sort of just like lift off those restrictions for the swimsuit special because, hey, you know what? It's, it's a swimsuit special. And it's all art. Right. There's so, no real story there. So if you want to hear us talk about the, the, the foibles of women in comics being drawn to be sexy, but like badly, listen to that. Yeah. Well, one more story. One more story we are done. Okay, here we go. Let's wrap this episode up with the best story of the year. No, just kidding. It's a tale of the Watcher. And much like Jan, it's actually tales about the Watcher lately and not him just telling a stupid story. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called The Sun Stealer by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Art Semek. And Uatu is on the moon. He's like scoping out Earth saying, I sure love those guys. Um, And an alien lands. And gets out of the plane, hit plane, out of the spaceship. And he's like, hey, I need gas. Can you help me? And Uatu's like, no, I can do nothing but watch. Are you sure? Because if you don't give me gas, I'll die. Sorry, I can only watch. Yes, says the alien. That's exactly what I was hoping you'd say. I heard that about you, but I couldn't believe it. I'm actually here to steal the sun. And Uatu's like, what? Yeah, I need to steal the sun because I'm from this planet where it's really cold. Our sun kind of fizzled out or it's fizzling out. So I brought this cool gear that'll let me steal the sun and pull it across the cosmos. I stole it from these guys called the Daleks. And, 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 and yeah, so I'm going to do that. And Uatu's like, but that will kill Earth. Yeah, 
they're my favorite. But you can't do anything, right? You're the watcher. Yeah, that's not good. Hey, I have an idea. Before you do it, can you answer 500 questions? And the guy's like, sure, why not? You're not going to stop me anyway, right? Right. So how is it powered? He tells him. How does it work? He tells him. What happens if it like the sun runs into something? He tells him. All this stuff. And finally, he's like, listen, man, you've asked me enough questions. I'm getting bored. I'm going to go get my ship and get the stuff out and steal the sun. Turns around. Oh, no. My ship sunk into a mud pit. I thought I landed on... Like, you know, solid ground, but this whole time it's been sinking. And you distracted me with all your questions. And now my equipment is in there. And also I have no way to get home. And all I'm wearing is this oxygen mask, which is going to, you know, run out of oxygen in like an hour. You have to help me. And Uatu just kind of turns away and says, all I do is watch. It's like, no, seriously, man, you got to help me. And he just kind of like stares into space and stops moving and the dude has this panic look and then it cuts to the moon and we assume the guy dies the end yeah stone cold to watch you yeah kind of brutal i want the next episode that takes place on the moon in the watcher's <laughs> zone to show this like dead skeleton yes i was gonna say the same thing i was hoping this guy would just be dead all the time in the marvel universe like anytime they go to the moon there's this guy dead. In fact, this is my Marvel canon from now on. Every time people get to the blue area of the moon and they're walking past the Marvel's, you know, the Watcher's area, every time someone's going to look over and notice the dead spacesuit <laughs> lying on the ground. They're going to exchange a glance and they're just going to keep on going. Just shrug, <laughs> shrug and keep walking. Yeah. Or like shudder and keep on going. <laughs> this was cool. I mean... We all know Uatu is like, like not the best at just watching, so that was fine. Um, since day one, he hasn't been great about just watching. But he always seems to find a way to justify it. And here he finds a really good way to justify just watching. <laughs> I guess. Like, even asking questions is not just watching, technically. So, he totally interferes. But, hey, Earth is saved. Yep, Earth is saved. It's a cool and story. I really like that one. Yeah, me too. As these backups go, that was probably one of the best ones so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have three more books that came out in April. Those are going to be next episode, and that's going to wrap up April. Um, Strange I'll Tales, watching, FF, and Spider-Man. I'll be watching The Keys of Marinus with my son, because those are our Doctor Who episodes right now. Oh, and um, The Fugitive, the first season of The Fugitive, is finishing this month. But you've watched that so already. I've been watching that. It's been. I have not watched the season finale yet, but oh, I thought you watched the whole thing already. No, no, no. I've been watching it as we've been going through. Oh, okay. I, I've fallen in love with the show. Four seasons. They're all available on archive.org, and I've been watching the season kind of in pace with the episode with issues that we're reading for the show. Mm. Another thing that happens in April is Mothra versus Godzilla. Okay. And I've never seen Mothra versus Godzilla. I've never seen any of the old Godzilla movies. So I've been watching some old Godzilla movies lately, and it occurs to me that I probably should mention that on the show, because guess who's in the Marvel Universe? Who? Godzilla. Oh, is he really? There's a like 24-issue series of S.H.I.E.L.D. Godzilla in the 70s. And then, so Godzilla fights the Rebellion leader from Star Wars? Because that's also Marvel. <laughs> well, yeah. But no, like... like S.H.I.E.L.D. agents oh. go up against Godzilla. So like, oh. it's in continuity. It's in the Marvel Universe. 
But Mon Rothra, isn't that also this from Star Wars? I don't know. Oh, Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Took me a second to get there. <laughs> I apologize. That's all right. That's funny. That was a bad one. It's okay. It's good. It's good. I just, I'm done. All right. So, um, oh, yeah. Got to say thank you for people who are following us out there in Twitter land and Facebook land. So, those are, as he reaches for his laptop, which is across the um, sitting space from him, um, following us lately on Twitter have been, where'd it go? Ah, I lost. There we go. So, we recently got a follow from She Reads Comics, which is at Comics She. Also from Adriana, who's a musician, a film programmer, and a comic book junkie. Team Cinepunks. I'm not sure what Cinepunks is, but she's Team Cinepunks. Um, we have gotten follows from Vert65. I trust most people until I'm given a reason not to. I'll probably be the most loyal friend you'll ever have. Life is too short. Hashtag lifelong comic book geek. Thank you for the follow. Um, someone who has been supporting the show and retweeting episodes since like our inception, but only just recently started following us on Twitter is classic JLA. Hmm. This is justice's first dawn. It's a podcast, uh, Twitter app, uh, account that does pre crisis justice league of America comics, but not necessarily in order. Uh, he just kind of pulls out stories that he wants to talk about from the, you know, 200 odd issues of pre crisis justice league. Okay. That's fair. We have Mark's Mess Podcasts. He is, um, I believe, British. I'm pretty sure. I've, uh, it's been a while since I've listened to him. Um, he does a lot of kind of random topics on his show, but he did do two series on Marvel annual crossovers. He did one on the Evolutionary War, and he did one on Atlantis Attacks. That's not what it's called. Is Atlantis Attacks? I feel like that's the DC one. No, that's Marvel. Yeah, okay, so those two. He did series on those. That's so those Rob Liefeld. Yes, 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 yes. Then we have at Jig Hughes, a comic enthusiast and a beer enthusiast. We have Troy Camera, who's at RobotBoy96. We have at Pixel Hate. That's Pixel, the letter H, and the number 8. Internationally renowned musician, two-time BAFTA nominee. Founder of CCCC Suffolk, uh, educator, academic author, and Google certified. So uh, thank you very much for following the show. Uh, Ian D. Carroll, Too Many Books, Too Little Time. I really feel you there, Ian. Otavio Ferraz, Dr. Speed, at need for Dr. Speed. Exile to this backward planet, the disgraced space adventurer known as Dr. Speed strives to survive. Mm. We have gotten so many follows lately. Just a few more, though. This person just goes by the name CC, and they have a locked account, so I'm not going to give their um, their their handle. Um, Shadow in Exile at JT Lovett. Sphinx Magoo at Sphinx Magoo has followed us. Pay no attention to the pentagram in my hand. <laughs> okay. David Yates. I'm David Yates. I'm a husband and father. I'm a big fan of all things comic book related, and I'll follow you back. Long live the Legion. Awesome. I'm also a Legion fan, David. So thank you for following us at Aqua DCD, Golden, Silver, and Bronze Age comic book enthusiast, and finally Yasin B at Y underscore Bad. Um, I think this is French. Okay. I'm not sure that I understand the French. I'm not going to try to read the French because I'm not positive on my French pronunciation. But um, 
thank you very much for following us. All those out there who are listening to the show, do please retweet new episodes. Help your friends know that we are out here doing this podcast. And I want to bring up the Facebook likes we've gotten recently while you tell everybody where they can find us. They can find us on any podcast playing, you know, app, I hope, like Apple, Android, we're on Google, Stitcher, or if you're not sure we're on it and you have an app and you can't find us, just go to makearsmarvel.com and there's also an RSS feed link that you could probably just plug in and make it work. Or while you're there, you could just listen to the episodes directly because they're all there. And you can also email us through that website with the contact form or just by writing to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And thank you for following us on Facebook, Larry Clay, Chuck Brutes, Josh Ton, and Yaya Gazal. Thank you very much for supporting the show, sharing us out there. Any groups that you're a part of on Facebook that talk about comics that would be appropriate to share, please feel free to share our links to our episodes. So that about wraps us up. Yeah. Wasn't too big of an episode. A little longer, but we got more books in and we wanted to get over those, so... Yeah, <laughs> we did. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, we did. So um, we will see y'all next time. And, you know, I said it earlier in the episode, but I'll say it again. Until the whole... Well, I'll say it this way. Edit. Spider-Man's been loaning out all of his bad guys. And one thing I feel like shouldn't happen is some little dweeb like the Chameleon fighting some powerhouse like the Hulk. So until the Hulk fights the Chameleon... Make ours marvel. marvel.